So much to be grateful for. I mean, how grateful are you for who he is, what he's done? Just so much. I know that Rena is grateful to have Jesse back. And it's only a couple of weeks before they get married. Two, three. Is it three? Two and a half weeks. We're going to miss it. We're going to be in the cold weather of Philadelphia while you're over here getting married. So I think we should pray for these guys. How about we do that? We just speak God's blessing, God's favor, God's provision. I know that uh, being in mission, um, it's, it's always good to have provision. Janet and I got married when we were at Christian University studying for ministry and literally had nothing to begin with. You know, I, I kind of laugh at the young couples today. They've got to have the new house, the new car, the new furniture, and the overseas honeymoon before they're going to have a good marriage, um, which, is, which is ironic. And uh, these guys live by faith. Every one of us should be living by faith. It's just uh, their faith has got to have that tangible stuff. So we're going to speak provision over them. Can I even dare to say God might challenge some of you to provide for them? I know at our wedding, uh, I mean, you want to talk about budget weddings because we were living by faith. These guys, you know, a wedding doesn't make a marriage. Couples are spending upwards of, uh, I heard of uh, somebody spending over $100,000 on a wedding. Oh, that's all right. James Packer spends millions on every wedding he has. True. It's true. Um, I think that's why he and Mariah didn't make it. She probably wanted a $10 million wedding or something like that. Listen, weddings don't make a marriage. It just kind of kicks it off with good celebration. What makes a marriage is, uh, is love for each other, love for God. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So why don't we come down the front, guys. Some of you, I'm not getting any level Josh in this, in the fallback at all. I can't hear myself. Uh, turn and face them. Now, I know this, some traditions, and it, don't laugh at this, I'm not making fun of it, but some traditions, I think it's the Italians and possibly the Greeks, neither one of you are Italian or Greek, certainly not with the red hair you guys got, or lack thereof now. Uh, but that's red. Yeah, that's red. That's it. It's growing in reverse. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and some traditions, you know what they do? They actually walk up and pin money on the bride's dress, and it's a sign of honor. Yeah, we spoke about we honor God with the giving of our first fruits. I want you to pray this morning. Um, they're talking about, on the, isn't it interesting, right after and right before Christmas, they're talking about the, it's, it's every year, uh, it's the highest paid, highest spent money for ourselves at Christmas. Yesterday on the news, they were lamenting all the debt now that people have to pay off with their credit cards and everything. Well, we don't live like that, do we? You're coughing. You don't live like that, do you, Mark? <laughs> she did. No, that's not true. So, and you might think this time of the year we don't have anything to give. That's not true. We do. Oh, there we go. We're alive. I got that one, Josh. Power. The anointing just came. <laughs> but I want you to pray. I want you to ask God if you're meant to give some kind of provision. We know how these guys live. They live in mission. It's a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. Let me just tell you this. Janet and I started out in mission, and our first Christmas, we're supported by uh, churches and friends for about five years in mission. And our first Christmas, we, we thought, oh, hallelujah, this is going to be so great. Christians give at Christmas. We're going we're gonna to do all right. We got $600 to live six weeks off of with one child and another one on the way. 
Christians are just as stingy at Christmas as other people. Well, we're not that way. We're a people who are generous. And these guys live by faith. I want you to just ask God, Father, what do you want me to do? This is not planned. They didn't ask for this. I'm just sensing God wants to bless them. Uh, you know, the, the Bible says, I will bless you so that the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And these guys are into that. That's their life. And uh, Janet and I know how that is. We live that way. These guys are living that way. They're starting that way. I just want you to ask, Father, what is it? And he might have you come up and give some provision. I don't want you to prophesy over them. Um, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, don't go tell your brother and sister, be blessed, be warm, and then they go away hungry. That's what it says in John. Real love is not saying the words. Real love is just giving uh, in so many ways. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, I believe that you want to do this, that it's your blessing on this couple as they began. This is the merging of two different nationalities and cultures to bring your culture, the kingdom. God, they've given up family. They've given up home. They've given up the ability to live prosperous lives. And they've done this for you and your kingdom. And your word says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added to you. Father, right now is a day where you just want to add to them for seeking first your kingdom. So we, your people, just want to hear your voice right now, Father. We want to respond to you. We don't want to embarrass them. We don't want to put anybody on the spot. But right now, Father, I just believe you want us to move with provision and blessing over them to just bless them Father, as you brought them together and they're part of our church here, you want us as their family here to provide and bless also. So Father, right now, just speak to each one of us individually. Tell us what to do. I'm just going to give you a few minutes. We'll just let this linger for a few minutes. You just stay in the presence of God. There's no pressure. Nobody's pressuring you. But as the Holy Spirit leads you and the Father leads you, uh, you see what he does. I'm just going to do something. You, you do what God leads you to. lead you just to be led to come up and bless them and speak blessing over them and bless them with provision. If you haven't come with cash, we do have forms. You can put your credit card number on it. What will happen, it'll go to the office. Mine will make sure it goes to the office and then the office will make sure they, these guys get it as part of our church. So if you need a credit card slip to do this, most of us are cashless today, and we work like that. Thanks, Joel. So if you need a credit card slip, just put up your hand. We'll get you a credit card slip and a, and a pen. Mon said that scripture, and it's so true. Give, and it shall be given to you. Well, come on, we've been given to so much, and we just want to bless these guys. Janet really wanted to be here for you guys this morning, but she's preaching it at uh, Central. So she re and we wanted to be at your wedding, but and she's got a gift for you guys, so she wanted to give it. So that'll come since she's not here. If you need a credit card slip, it's just wait. 
But we're going to speak over these guys prophetically in just a second. You can sit if you want to, if you need to relax. Can I ask you, if you're sitting, can you do this? Can you stretch your hand out towards him and start speaking blessing? Start speaking the power of God over their their family, their life together. Amazing life together. Now, if you have a credit card slip, give that to Mon, please, so we can get that through properly. And I'm sorry we didn't prepare you for this, but I wasn't prepared till a minute ago. I just felt I heard the Father saying, provide. Good on you, Luke. Remember, if you do have a credit card slip, you can either give it to Mon now or after the service. making a decision too. The church is going to contribute out of mission to these guys for their wedding. Not for their mission work, but for their wedding. I, mean, I don't know what kind of honeymoon you guys are having, but it probably is not. Hey? It just got yeah, it just got better. Good. I'm sure it's going to be better than the one Janet and I had. We didn't have a honeymoon for 30 years. Serious, literally. Uh, because we were students and then we went straight off to mission and and after 30 years, I took Janet to the Rockies where I, I promised her for 30 years, I'm taking her to the Rockies. It took 30 years to get her there. So, promises do come true. Any more? Anything else? Remember, if it's a credit card slip, you just give it to Mon. Would you extend your hands towards them? Father, right now, we bless them in the name of Jesus. God, we speak your favor over them. God, we thank you that you have brought them together. That, God, you you have chosen them for each other. But not just for each other and not just for their pleasure and not just for, for their fun together as a couple, but to be a blessing to so many others also. So, Father, we declare over their marriage, over their home, over their future family, that they will be a blessing to the families of this earth. God, to multiple cultures and multiple peoples. God, you will open doors that no man can shut. You will take them to places that they aren't even thinking about now. And you will do things through them that go beyond their dreams and imagination. So, Father, right now we bless them with a blessing of heaven and the blessing of a Father who loves them incredibly. And we speak life and favor. God, we pray for the wedding day, just absolute fun and celebration together of the church and the YWAM team here. And God, we see that day as a day of dancing and singing and celebrating your goodness and your love and their love for each other and for you. So Father, anointing, anointing, anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome.
Thanks, Joel. You're welcome. You're welcome. That took a little bit longer than I had planned, but you know the way God works. He's got his agenda. You know, it says we can have our plans, but the Lord will do what he wants to do in the end. That's my version of that proverb. But it's true. You can have all your plans, but in the end, God's going to write the script, isn't he? Well, he's already written the script. It's just whether you're going to live by it or not. True? Good morning, church. I think Janet would have, oh, she would have definitely finished preaching. It was her first preach at the new venue. So she was a little bit nervous this morning. And this is, this is oh, it's the first time I've been with you in this venue, but it's the last time I'll see you guys for about seven or eight weeks because Janet and I are doing long service leave. We leave next Sunday after church and we're gone to the Northern Hemisphere for six weeks um, to see we've got three aging parents that it could possibly be the last time we see them on this side of heaven. And, uh, and then we're also going to do a few good things, fun things. We're going to stop at Bethel on the way home and spend some time with Craig and Michelle there. So this is the last time I'll see you for weeks and months. How about that, Priscilla? Yeah, that's all right. You used to come to our house every other week for D-group and stuff. So it's going to be an awesome year, church. It's going to be a great year. Well, it's already started, hasn't it? It's already started well. And, uh, you know, we started talking, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Darren brought that word, and he'll be back next week, brought that word around the declaration of faith, declaring the truth of what God has said will happen. You guys stay alive with me. I want to hear you above the kids. I'll get distracted by the kids, but I won't. If you, come on, if you feed me well, I'll preach well. That's the way it works. So, good on you. Come on, Pete. Lead the, oh, I'll break that thing. That costs a lot of money, doesn't it? Yeah, is this the one that Pete McHugh broke? No, 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 it's not. We replaced it. He just, big guy, you know, he leaned on it. So, I remember the wooden days. I've broken a couple of wooden ones in my life. Anyway. And this whole month, we, what we want to do is unlock faith. Faith is one of those things people understand theologically or biblically because they read it, we talk about it, but it's very few people actually live it and experience it, which is true. I mean, I don't know about you, but I wrestle with the issue of faith. I'm going to tell you something that's it's, it's an oxymoron. It's a paradox. It doesn't sound like it should be together. I work hard at faith doesn't sound like those phrases should be together, but it's true. And, and we want to explore the reality of faith, authentic faith. We are a people of faith. We've been made right with God by faith. We are saved by faith. We believe in the word of faith. We walk by faith. We are a community of faith, and faith determines our destiny. It, it's at the core of how we live and who we are, faith. And so faith is extremely important, but you need to know that faith is far more than just positive thinking. I mean, I mean, there are people out in the world that think a lot more positively than I do. That doesn't make them a child of God. Um, and faith is far more than just speaking something out. People think, oh, I'm just going to name it and claim it. That's not faith. That's just whipping something up. But faith is also far more than the acknowledgement of, of facts about God. You know, the Bible says in James, the devils even believe in God and they tremble. But that doesn't mean they've got faith. 
And faith should never be confused with emotionalism or hype. You can go to these big rallies or some kind of church service and things get all whipped up and before you know it, there's hype going on and people get emotional and they get moved and that's not faith. That's not, I'm not saying that faith won't have emotion and it won't have knowledge attached to it, but that alone is not faith. It was interesting, we held two big crusades in the city back in the early 2000s called Harvest Crusade. If you're around the region, you might remember Two and a half thousand people said, I want to trust God. I want to connect with God. The interesting thing is in that atmosphere of things get whipped up and, and, and people get emotional. And it, it, I wouldn't say it was hype, but things get, I mean, the atmosphere gets up. And this happens often in crusades. You get the crusade decisions. And what happens is they go down front and they make a response. And we would connect with them afterwards and say, hey, we're here to follow you up about your life with Jesus. And they go, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you responded at the crusade. You said that you wanted to believe in God. Yeah, I want to believe in God, but I don't want any of the stuff you're talking about. It was a moment of emotionalism. That's not faith. That doesn't produce faith. Now, I'm not saying it's sterile and you know, impotent and all that stuff, but neither is it emotionalism or hype. But here's the deal. Faith is real and it's non-complicated. People make faith just too flippin' complicated. I, I'm of the belief that a simple person, a retarded person, or even a child can come to God through genuine faith. True. It's true. Let me tell you this. Will we baptize children? Absolutely, if they have come to Jesus in faith. And I've had people go, oh yeah, but they're only six years old. How do you know they're going to last it out, that their faith is real? I go, how do I know you're going to last it out? <laughs> what makes your faith more real just because you're older? As a matter of fact, your faith is probably polluted. Theirs is simple. That's yeah. true. Age doesn't determine whether you got real faith or not. It's, it's not complicated, and yet people struggle with it. Faith comes through the Word. You know what it says? In, in Romans chapter 10, I don't have this one in front of you, but Paul is saying about the Jewish people, the Word of faith is in you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. They were born with this whole concept that faith is real. Well, can I say to you that that's not just the Jews, that's also us? The Word of faith is built within our soul. And what happens is this Word of faith unlocks it because it's been locked up. But I want to kill a couple of myths right now before I kind of give you the, the word part of it that builds faith, because today I believe that faith through revelation in the word just gets unlocked. Faith comes by hearing the word. Not my word, the word. I can stand on that word. You know, people, people might say, you know, this is, that's been said over you and that's been said. Yeah, but what does God say over me? Jesus said, you can build your house on all kind of things, but when you build your house, your life on this, doesn't matter what storm comes, the house will stand. It's the rock. And when you hear this, and when you get revelation from this word, it's boom, I experience the word. But I want to kind of kill two myths. Well, it's a myth with two parts, if I can, about faith. And the first one is this. I hear people say it all the time. I'm just not a person of faith. 
I hear people in church say that. I'm not a, a person of faith. And it's usually voiced with phrases like this. I'm a logical person. As if logic and faith are enemies. Does that mean every one of us here today who have faith live totally illogically? Did you go out and buy a new car out of stupidity? No, of course you didn't. You hear them say, I don't naturally have faith. I feel like that. I am not naturally a person of faith. I'm telling you now. I'm not the kind of person that goes, yep, it'll happen. Janet's like that. I just get, I get angry. She's just so flipping, you know. God said it, it'll happen. Like, I think she's showing a picture or showed it today. Big picture where in August of 2013, I think it was, our eldest grandson, Jensen, got hit by a car. And, uh, and we almost lost him. We didn't know if he was going to die or what was going to happen. And he's laying in the hospital, and there are tubes coming out everywhere and a neck brace because his, his skull was broken up and he had bleeding on, bleeding on the brain. His femur was snapped in two, so they put him in the, this induced coma, so he, basically to try to control whether he lived or died. And we're standing at the bed, and Janet's standing there, and the doctors are saying, if he comes out of this, and, and they, they, the doctors, the experts, the logical ones said, he will be in hospital this long and he will not walk and this will not happen. And Janet stood there and said, my grandson will be out of this hospital. And she named the time. That week to the time he walked out of the hospital. I'm standing there looking at all the tubes and everything and I'm going, yeah, but. That's usually the phrase by people with logic, yeah, but. I know what God said, yeah, but. And here's the deal. Other people, you know, who say I'm not a person of faith, they go, I don't have the gift of faith. Can I say something to you? There is the gift of faith in 1 Corinthians 12, and that is used for miracles. Don't confuse that with faith. Faith is not a gift. Listen to me. I'm just waiting for God to drop the gift of faith into me, and then I might believe him. No, 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 no. no. You don't have to wait for a gift. You are born with it. But people use that. Let me, let me tell you, you were built for faith. You're not limited to this world that you see and hear and touch and know called the material world. That is only part of reality, not the sum total of it. There is another dimension that exists. I go to cultures around the world and I'm telling you, they don't have a problem realizing that there is another dimension that is in equal existence to the one we touch and feel and see and hear. And they know it. They experience it. But see, we in the West are just so flippin' smart, it doesn't exist. If I don't see it, if I don't touch it, if I don't feel it, if I don't taste it, it's not real. I love a little, uh, I don't know, I, I love the Christmas movies, and I love the one, Santa, the Santa Claus. Anybody see that one, the number one one? Come on, I know you like it. So... The kid is sitting there, his dad has become Santa Claus, and he's believing it with all his heart, you know, and his stepfather, who is the psychiatrist, is trying to talk him out of it, tell him it's not logical. And he says, uh, he says, the psychologist stepdad says to the little kid, um, you know, have you, have you ever, you know, how does this one man get around the world the whole night? And, and he, the kid explains it, boom, like that. And the stepdad, it's not logical. And he goes, well, it happens. And then the, then the uh, stepdad says to the kid, have you ever seen a reindeer fly? And the kid said, yes. And he goes, well, I haven't. And he said, 
just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not real. Have you ever seen a million dollars? Good comeback from a kid. Listen, you were born with a capacity to know and experience another realm called the spiritual realm. The problem is we just put layers on that makes us desensitized to the spiritual realm. It's true. Um, man, I've been in places around the world where they have said, don't go sit under that tree. What are you talking about? There are spirits that live under that tree. If you go anywhere near that tree, you're going to get sick. They know. They can sense them. They see them. I remember in Malaysia, very, very wealthy Chinese business couple. Logical, educated in the West, own business, own race horses, trained horses for racing, uh, come from a, an Eastern uh, Taoistic background, and all of a sudden, the spirits that they used to leave offerings, at, in front of their house, there is a red box. And in that red, I thought it was a big post box. Till you look in and there's fruit and incense and flowers. Every day it's refurbished. And you go, what's that for? Well, they have to give offerings every day to the spirits or they will be tormented. I said, get out of it. These are logical, educated people, rationalistic they said, you don't know how these people became Christians, Keith? I said, yeah, tell me. They said, with all their money and all their logic and all their education and even their offerings to the spirit world, it didn't stop the spirits from coming into their house and physically tormenting them. They saw them. They were attacked by them. And so they didn't know what to do because their religion couldn't get rid of it. So they called us and we came and cleansed the house. Now, I'm telling you, these people were educated in England at high universities. They know there is another realm apart from that money they have, the house they live in, the horses they train, and dare I say, the sex they... Anyway, we won't go there. What you see, what you feel, what you experience, there is another realm. And you were born with that. Solomon grabbed hold of this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, when he said this phrase, He, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. God created us with an eternal side that doesn't disappear even when this body stops living. The key is faith gets us in touch with it. All right, here's the second, I need to move on. The second myth I want to kill today about faith. Secondly, when people go, I don't have great faith. I hear a lot of Christians saying, I don't have great faith. Well, I can help you with that. I don't either, but I have a great God. God's not asking for an enormous faith, just a real authentic faith. My faith is not in my faith. My faith is in my God. And remember, my God said even a seed of genuine faith can move the biggest mountain. Got it? I don't need a big faith to move a molehill. I need a seed of faith to move a mountain. So just, let's just kill it. The size of the miracle. Can you put that on screen? The size of the miracle is not determined by the size of the faith. Rather, it's determined by the size of what our faith is in. So let's hear what God says about that. And you need to remember, faith comes by hearing the word. Let's go to the faith chapter. If you want to use your Bible, you can. I'm doing the New King James for these two verses to start with in Hebrews chapter 11. The chapter of faith. 
It'll go up, but if you want to use your Bible, I still like the analog version. I can write in it, highlight it. I can bend it. I can thump it. I can throw it at you. But I won't because I like it too much. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, let's drop down to verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I need to tell you, faith exists. We think we've gotten so sophisticated with all our gadgets and science that faith has disappeared. I I hate that T-shirt the kids wear, faith no more. Have you seen that? It's rubbish. And sometimes it's got an upside down cross and says with a line through it and it says faith no more. They need to know that that more than three billion people on the planet right now will say, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is not dead. Faith exists. The scripture says this, even though it doesn't give us a full description or or a definition, it tells us about faith, but here's what it says. Now faith is. He's just stating it. He's putting his foot down, the writer of Hebrews, and he says, faith is. And let me tell you what faith is. Faith is focused. Faith has an object. You know, people go, faith is for people who have nothing else to believe in. They don't have anything tangible. They don't have a... They need a crutch in life, so they have faith. I don't need a crutch. My faith has an object, and that object is God. See, my faith, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. My faith is not in me. My faith is not in others. My faith is not even in the church as much as I love it. My faith is in Him. It's not even faith in my faith. God is the object of my faith. Now, everybody, you think about it, everybody operates with a degree of faith at some level. You know that, don't you? It's true. And the question we ought to ask is this, well, what is the focus of your faith? What are you placing your faith on? All right, all right, all right. I'm going to convince you. Do you realize every one of you exercised faith when you walked in here this morning and you sat down on that chair? You exercised faith in the maker of the chair. I didn't see one person pick it up, examine it, look at the weight loading, and see if all four legs were stable. Not one person. You came in here and you plonked your derriere down just as as simple and as as happy as you could please yourself. Two weeks' time, Janet and I will get on this big plane. Oh, yeah. The last thing I need to be watching on Foxtel for the next two weeks is air crash disasters. I bought Janet for Christmas. Wrong move. I got her the movie Sully. Great movie, though. He he comes from a Christian background. I don't know if you know that. Um, And uh, we will step on that airplane. They will shut the door. We will sit in those seats for 14 hours. And we are saying at that moment, our total dependence for the rest of our life here and now is on American Airlines, its pilots, its engineers, and the people who fly this thing. And we have no choice once that door is shut. That's it. You exercise faith. Every day you exercise faith. Again, the question is, what is the focus of your faith? 
What is the object of your faith? And what we've got to do is this. We've got to focus our faith on someone greater than ourselves, which is true. So is your faith focused on your ability to earn an income, to provide for your family? Um, I, I, I hate to kind of break this news to you, and don't stop giving because I'm about to say this, but those of us that work for the church, you're not our employer. You're not our provider. God is. Now, don't look at me like, don't have to give anymore. <laughs> he does provide through you. But our faith is not in your ability to give. Our faith is in a God who is good. That's true. He's greater. And we've got to place our faith in someone who has power and compassion to walk with us and work with us. William Barclay um, said about these two verses, we must believe not only that God exists, but also that God cares. The devils believe God exists. They know He exists. He kicked them out of heaven. They know the size of His boot, I'm telling you. But they don't understand that He cares. And we need to let our focus be on a God who cares and who is working on our behalf. And it might not, as Mon said earlier, it might not feel like that or circumstances might not lead it that way, but I'm telling you, just hang in there. Faith doesn't mean the answer is immediate now. Faith means he still has the answer. So faith is focused, but faith isn't only focused. Faith is realized. This isn't a theological talk. You know, I, I tried my best to think, how can, how can I get revelation? How can I get them to see? How can I get them to know faith? And it's almost like God says, you can't. That's my job. You, with all your theological education and your degrees and your, your understanding and your theology and all of that, it's not your job to convince people of faith. It's your job just to open the door and let them know they can experience it. And I don't know about you, but faith is experienced when all of a sudden I have confidence in God. Now, how do I know that? Well, not only has the Word said it, but God has lived it. Let me reread verse 1 for you in the Amplified. Love this. It'll go on screen. Now, faith is the assurance. You go back and you dig a little bit and you get into the original language and you find out, what does that word assurance mean? It literally means the confirmation or the title deed. Isn't that wild? Faith is possessing the ownership of this deed to your future. It's of the things that you are hoping for. You already have it as a possession. The title deed has been sealed and signed by God himself. And he goes, I've got it. I've got you back. Being proof of the things we do not see in conviction of their reality. Stop. We get made fun of by people out there in the world telling us we don't live in reality because reality is what we see. What we know, what we touch. Well, I've got news for you. Faith releases proof of an unseen reality. I'm telling you, I don't have to read a book about somebody who said they died and went to heaven and came back and tell me what it look, looks like to know that it's real. I don't have to die and go there and see it and come back to know that it's real. 
I, I've, got, I've got enough proof that God is real, that He is on my side. And, and I love what it says. It's, it's the conviction of the reality. It goes on and says this, faith perceiving as real what is not revealed to the senses. How many of you have ever seen the wind? Now, don't tell me you have because you haven't, but you have experienced its effect. You can't see the wind. That's why when Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't see him, but you know when he's around. Right? He says he goes wherever he wants to, but you'll know it when he's around. I don't need to see wind to know it exists. I know its effect. I don't need to see God with my eyes to prove that he's real because his effect has been real in my world. It's true. You know the old adage, seeing is believing. And that's not faith. You don't need faith if you've seen it. Faith is exercise. When faith is exercise, it goes like this. Believing is seeing. Not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. When you believe, you see. You will see the goodness of God. Once you are awakened to the reality of faith, you understand it's possible in the heart and mind of every human being to have faith. And when our faith is focused on the reality that by knowing God personally, there's a confidence that comes into your soul that can't be reasoned away with or logic or... Cer- How many, has anybody here ever read or heard Josh McDowell? Yes. All right, he works in the realm, particularly in universities, of trying to convince people that God is real. That's how he got saved. I heard him give his testimony. Oh, golly, this will... Alex is telling me his tattoos are saying, Dad's born in 71, Mom's born in 72, and I'm going, I was married six years later than that. I'm really feeling old. I thought we were near the same age. You babies. Anyway, yeah, that's... Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm calling me young, not them old. Careful, thank you. I keep saying to Janet, 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 I need to get rid of this. It's really showing my age. And she said, no, I don't want you to get rid of the beard. Don't you think I'd look younger without it? Well, tell Janet. <laughs> I heard Josh McDowell, 1976, he came to our university, gave his testimony. He was a uh, grad student in Southern California, and he started liking this girl on campus, as they do. And he... Uh, one day, he went into one of the cafes where she was sitting, one or two other students, and a professor. And he sat down because he was interested in her, and he noticed they were talking about God. Now, he was a self-proclaimed atheist slash agnostic at that point. And he said, surely you guys don't believe in God. You're here in a rationalistic, scientific atmosphere, and you're saying you believe in this being that you can't even prove? And they said, Okay. We challenge you to a debate. We will have a public debate. Now, this is, this is a secular university. We'll have a public debate on the campus, and your, your side of the, the debate is to disprove there is a God and that he had no son named Jesus, and we will prove there is a God and he had a son named Jesus. He goes, right, you're on. So they set the date. Josh McDowell started gathering all the material he could historically, scientifically, Um, genealogically, everything he could get in records to try to disprove that Jesus Christ was not who he said he was, that he was false, that he was a liar, and that he deceived humanity. 
in the middle of all of his research gathering, he got born again. So he travels the world now going, I think he used to be with Youth for Christ. Is that right, Jesse? Youth for Christ? Yeah. A few of those. Who's the guy that, headed, that started? He died. Started up Youth for Christ. Amazing man. Great man. Anyway. Um, and he, he came to our university and he wrote a little book called More Than a Carpenter. Anybody ever read it? Now he goes through all the arguments, science, history, trying to show you Jesus is real. Do you remember what the last chapter was? His and you always put your best argument in the conclusion. You know that, don't you? If you've ever written an essay for university, you save your best for last. <laughs> Do you remember what his last chapter was? How he knew Jesus Christ was real? I know he's real because, and this was the title of his chapter, he changed my life. Through all of his science and all of his rationalism and all of his research and debate, very intelligently, the one fact that nobody could argue against is the power of God through faith to change a human being from darkness to light, from death to life. Period. And so that, that can't be reasoned away with. So the revelation we get from his word that gives us faith and confidence and to know by experience is this. I know that God is good. This I know, God, now everything I'm about to tell you right now comes from a scripture. I, I did a, I sat down the other day, opened up my uh, concordance, electronic, oh, thank God for electronic. I remember the paper days where I had to go through 100 pages to find one verse. Nowadays, click a button, find this verse, boom, it's there. So I can spend the rest of the day drinking coffee rather than sermonizing. That's not true. I love that stuff. So anyway, open up. Open up my uh, reference, and, and I just went through the phrases, I know, I know, I know, I know. I don't have time to share with you all of them that are in the Bible. Where David, where Paul, where Abraham, they just said, this I know, this I know, this I know. How did they know? By experience, I know that God is good. This I know, God is on my side. I know the greatness of the Lord. Even Job said in his most desperate hour, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know God has plans for my future, Jeremiah said. I know he works all things together for our good, Paul said. I know, Matthew said, that he gives good gifts to his children who ask. I know that he is true to his word. It is yes and amen. Paul said, I know nothing can separate me from him. I know he will never leave us nor forsake us, the writer of Hebrews said. I know, Peter said, and I am convinced that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. I know I have confidence. Now, I like what the Amplified Version says. Let me say it again. Faith perceiving as real fact what's not revealed to the senses. I know. He changed my life. I, I, by all accounts and purposes, faith is foreign to me, naturally. But by encounter with God, it became real. And Paul Young E. Cho, the pastor of the largest church in the world, wrote a book called The Fourth Dimension. And he said, you as a child of God are a fourth-dimensional person living in a third-dimensional world. Everybody else is limited to what they see, what they hear, what they feel, what they touch, what they taste, but you are not limited to that because there is a dimension that you have become alive to, and it is the spiritual dimension. You hear God. You walk with God. You talk with God. You receive from God. So here is the deal. Faith is awakened in us. 
It's revitalized through trust and surrender. So I said it wasn't a gift. And because while faith is built into you, you still have to make a decision, do I want to live by faith? You still have to reach inside your soul, and there is a switch in every one of us that goes, yes, I will believe. I do believe. And that's what I'm talking about. You have to work at faith because so much stuff in life has done everything to rob you of the innocence of faith. You think about it. Every time you have received abuse, rejection, or neglect, what happens to trust in your soul? Suppressed, suppressed, suppressed. Imagine every time a young lady is sexually abused as a child by somebody that should have been a protector, like an uncle, a father, a big brother, whoever, a neighbor, and every time she is sexually abused, what happens to the ability to give her heart and trust to somebody? It's closed, it's hardened, it's protected. So all of a sudden you come to her and say, God loves you, he has a plan for you, he prospers for you, he has good for you. You know what happens? She can't hear it, she can't see it, she doesn't want it. Why? The trust factor has been so suppressed and abused and locked away that it's going to take a miracle for her to get free. Literally. And I'm here to tell you, there's still in that young lady a switch that can be turned on. Because no matter how hard the devil tries, he, he, he can try to suppress it and he can send all kind of things your way to try to neglect it, but he can't take it away. Eternity has been written in your heart. I'm telling you. And you can't turn it on by religion. You can't turn it on by striving. I think I can. I think I can. That's not faith. That's a little... Was it Thomas or which... What? Yeah, the little engine. Yeah, I think I can. Nobody can believe for you. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. You can't ride off your parents' faith into heaven. You've got to reach down in there no matter what with a deliberate act and go, gosh, this is hard work, but I'm going to believe. And that doesn't mean your belief is perfect and healed at that moment, but it believes you make that deliberate choice. I believe. And something happens. Faith stirs. Incredible things happen. Let me read the message to you in verse 6. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that He exists and that He cares enough to respond. That's so good. You know, the Bible says that anyone who comes to Jesus, He will in no wise turn away. He'll never look at you and go, Nah, I don't want you. Have you ever thought, Maybe God wanted my brother and not me. Well, that thought doesn't come from heaven. Or maybe he wanted my parents. Or maybe he wanted pastors Darren and Beck, but he didn't want me. That, that's a lie of the devil to try to suppress the ability for you to know that God cares. All you've got to do is go, I know he's real. One more step, he cares. And when I seek him, I'm going to find. Because you know what it is? When the Bible says, when you, those who believe in him, when the Bible says believe, it doesn't just mean I acknowledge he's real. 
You know that, don't you? When the Bible says believe, there's, there's a uh, five-letter word that describes your belief, that God's wanting. You know what it is? Trust. Belief in the New Testament is the same as saying, are you ready to trust me? Not just believe in me, but are you ready to trust me? Trust me for what? Trust me for your life. Trust me for your future. Trust me for your finances. Trust me for your marriage. Are you ready to trust me? Because I will make all things work together for good. And all it takes is just that little bit of trust to say, yep, God, I am going to trust you. You were born with the ability to trust. You know that, don't you? I mean, if you've had children, you know that they were born with, a, with an innate ability to trust you the moment they look up at you. You know, the baby, the, the first thing that comes out of your child's mouth isn't, why are you here? Who are you? They don't even know your name, but they trust you with their life. Even before my son could say my name, I'd put him on the top bunk, and I'd stand back as far as I could, and I'd just do this. That's all I did. And you know what? Without going, Dad, you know, you're looking a bit flabby. Dad, you had not been lifting weights recently. Dad, you know how much I weigh? No questions, no hesitation. He just leaped off of that bed into my arms knowing my father will never drop me. My father would rather fall himself on his head than drop me to the ground. That's trust. That is childlike trust. But see, what happens is this. When the trust gets abused, violated, whatever, we become afraid, we become cynical, we become self-protective. I, I, can't, I can't open up my heart. It's been too hurt. And that's why Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You can go up on the screen, I tell you the truth. Now, when Jesus says that phrase, I tell you the truth, people listen. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. What's he saying? We've got to be childish and act like idiots? No, but you've got to be childlike and be innocent in your trust. You know what innocent in the trust means? Father, I know that if I trust what you said, that if I believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for my sins, that I will be born again and I will live forever with you, I trust that innocently. I don't ask questions going, well, was there enough blood? You sure he didn't sin? Or was he really the son of God? No, I don't do that. Innocently, I go, I do. I do believe that he's your son. But I don't just believe, I trust with all my heart. And people out there will go, gee, that's dumb, isn't it? You are trusting forever to a man who didn't even make it to 40, who owned nothing, who all of his followers left him because they were afraid. And they, they, they treated him like a common criminal and they killed him on a garbage dump and stripped him naked hanging in front of all creation and you are trusting that forever? And I go, yep. Yep. I don't have to, I'm, no logic, no argument, just yep. That's the innocence of faith. I trust. Faith is awakened. Now I want to tell you, the way to get your trust back is through surrender. There's no simple shortcut way. You just got to go, I surrender. I, I give my life to you. 
I'm not going to try to manage it. I'm not going to try to rule it. I'm not going to try to make it happen. I'm going to try, I surrender you as, as the hope of my life for my salvation, as my Lord and Savior, not just my Savior. You know, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, they said, they said, my goodness, we crucified the God of all creation. What must we do? And you know what Peter said? He didn't just say, believe. Believe and believe that he wants to save you. He said, no. He said, he said this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Savior. In other words, don't just believe he wants to do something good and save you. Surrender totally as, he, as your Lord. And repent. And I, I, I surrender to you, God, in a simple kind of way. And you go, gee, that's not very smart, Keith. Well, I'm not looking for intelligence. I'm looking for life. Not that you have to be stupid. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying faith means you're stupid. But neither does logic and intelligence mean you're going to live forever. Right? Heaven isn't full of road scholars. But children, children. There's a book. Come, come up and play. Thanks, mate. There's a book that we just got our hands on. We want to give to everybody who becomes a new believer. It's called The New Believer's Guide to the Christian Life. Listen to what he said. As we grow older, the wonder, the trust, the childlikeness within us begins to shrivel due to pain, circumstances, or the overall busyness of life. Some of you reading this lost your childhood because of something someone did to you, robbing you of your innocence. Maybe thinking of your childhood is hard because times were tough for one reason or another. And while the gospel doesn't change what happened in the past, one of the greatest of the gifts God gives us is a second childhood, a truer childhood, an authentic childhood that lasts for a lifetime and beyond. Come to Him as a child and trust. Surrender your life. Do you know, I said to you earlier, I don't find faith easy. I have to work at it. And you know why? Because in the worst possible way for me as a child at 10 years of age, trust was totally violated and written off. And you don't need to know why. You don't need to know the story. But one of, if not the most significant person on the planet at that time for me, violated trust and walked away and never came back again. It was my father. And at that moment, something inside me locked up and said, I don't, I'll never trust anybody again. You know what unlocked that? Surrender. I had to realize that God is bigger than what happened to me. I had to realize that God is better than even my own earthly father. I had to realize that God did, in fact, have a plan for my life. But I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. Because that just, I wanted to protect myself from anybody and everybody. Because of the risk, again, of that trust being violated. Well, can I tell you some good news? God will never violate your trust. When God says, I will, He does. When God says, I am, He is. And when God says, you can, it will happen. And yet some of us struggle to have faith go to a new level and awaken because trust has just been locked up. I, I kind of sense God wants to loose that 
at the beginning of the year in us. That doesn't mean all of a sudden you got perfect trust, but what it means is this. Some things that are locking you up inside get unlocked. So why don't we stand to our feet for a minute? I just want to do that unlocking here for a minute. Like me, you might have had some kind of situation happen that should never have happened to you as a child. And unfortunately, it's been a tool in the hand of the enemy to work against you from being everything that God has destined you to be. Well, I'm here to tell you right here, right now, God is greater. And God does have a plan for you to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for good, the Bible says. He is a good father. He works all things together for your good. He gives good gifts to you when you ask. But there's got to be that moment of, yes, Father, I'll take that next step to trust you. You know, I had no problem with Jesus, God being my boss, being Lord. I had a huge problem with him being my father. Huge problem. Because that's somebody who's not to be trusted. God had to set me free of that. And for some of you, it might be Lord. For some of you, it might be the Holy Spirit because as your comforter. For some of you, it might be your Father. It doesn't matter what you've been through and what past you've gone through. And I'm not trivializing that. I just know your future is better. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to unlock some things for some people right here, right now. Holy Spirit, this is your work. We're standing in the center of your arena where you are at your best. You are just so masterful at encouraging us through this. It's not a battle. It's a step of encouragement and courage. You've already won the battle. And I know you're talking to so many of us here this morning saying, there's a part of you that needs to get unlocked. You've been hurt. You've been deceived. You've been disappointed. You've been abused. I'm here to take you out of that past and into a great new day. If you'll just simply surrender. Trust me. Trust me. I've got this. Trust me. Holy Spirit, I know you want to unlock some things right now supernaturally. We can't take back what happened. But we can have a new day for great things to happen. So Holy Spirit, we want to step into that. If that's you right now, just simply this, I want you to put one or both hands up saying, I surrender. Just let the Holy Spirit, by doing that, the Holy Spirit's going to unlock some things in you right now as you surrender. See, that physical act triggers something in your soul that unlocks something because you're saying to God like the father whose son was demonized Jesus said he'll be set free if you believe and he said Jesus I do believe but help my unbelief right now he just wants to help that part of you that's struggling to believe just put your hand up in the air because there's going to be an unlocking great great keep your hand up keep your hand up if that's you father right now in Jesus name with the hands that are up. I believe you want to send your spirit to do what I couldn't do in a thousand sermons. You can do in a second. So right now, I declare freedom, healing, restoration, 
deliverance, a new day. Release, release, release. You said whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. We are being loosed right now by the power of the Holy Ghost. Things are being unlocked. Hard places softened. Broken places healed. Abused places Lord, healed and transformed in Jesus' name. So releasing, releasing, releasing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. I want you to just thank Him. Those of you with your hands up, just thank Him. Thank Him. Thank Him right now. He's a good dad. He gives good gifts. You go, yeah, but I'm just not feeling all of it right now. Listen, don't go by your feelings. Go by truth right here, right now. Feelings will come. I'm telling you, they'll come right now. Just thank Him. Thank you, Father. You set me free. Thank you, Father. I've been delivered today. Thank you, Father. It's been unlocked right now. Thank you, Father, for healing in my soul. Thank you, Father. Like a child, I can trust again. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm also amazed how many of us in church can trust God for eternity, but we can't trust God for our finance, for our health, for our marriage. Like, I can trust Him forever that He'll save me, but I struggle to believe He can do things here and now. I'm telling you, faith isn't just for eternity. Faith is for here today. God wants the seed to grow into a tree. And right now, I just want to pray over people real quick who are really wrestling with letting go of something to God. If Janet were here right now, she would tell you that for years and years, she struggled to let me and the children go to God. Like she had this unrealistic thing in her head. If I give Keith and the kids to God, he'll take them from me. It was a skewed view of it. actually what caused it was religion. She grew up in a religious background that God was angry at you, not in love with you. And that if you give God something, he'll take it from you rather than bless you. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the father we know. Jesus said, if you ask him for bread, do you think he'll give you a rock? If you ask him for fish, do you think he'll give you a snake? Well, you fathers who give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to His children who ask? How much more is your Father good? But you've struggled to surrender. Because you're afraid to surrender something like, hey, I can work out my finances better. I can fix my marriage. Or I can make the health happen. And you're struggling. Listen, God wants to take that little bitty seed of faith that you believe with. And he wants to grow it right here, right now. So just bow your heads, close your eyes. If there's some of you here today going, man, I need that seed of faith to grow. And it might be relationships, finances, health, whatever. But you need that seed of faith to get beyond a seed. Why don't you just put your hands up to God right now. Say, Father, help my unbelief. Father, increase my faith. Father, Move on my soul right now. I surrender. I surrender to you. Turn this seed of faith into a mighty tree. So, Father, awaken and release faith in me this year. 
greater than ever before. Father, I just want to declare over our campus here, so many people, their faith going from strength to strength. Father, mountains being moved all over the place. Things that they used to think would never happen in their lifetime and impossible now in the realm of possibility. So, Father, we thank you for the revelation of faith. We thank you for the breakthrough in faith. We thank you for the seed of faith turning into a tree. We're going to look back on this year and we're going to testify of mighty things that you have done in and through us, your church here, as we impact this city and beyond for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Just one more thing. Give me two minutes. You can't talk about faith without talking about being born again. The Bible says that those who come to God must believe that He is, that He rewards those who seek Him. God is a God of love. He is a Father who loves, but He's also a God of justice. And unfortunately, that means, well, not really unfortunately, it just means that no sin goes unpunished. And I hate to say that, but it's true. Every sin will be paid for. The wages of sin is death. But, love that, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can be forgiven. You can live forever. You can know beyond any doubt whatsoever that you are a child of God. And if you don't know that today, how can we talk about faith without talking about this? That God loved you so much, He sent His one and only Son, that if you would believe in Him, you would never perish, but live forever. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried, and He rose again on the third day to give you new life. And if you will simply trust that, you'll be a child of God. To those who believe in Him, to those who receive Him, John 1.12 says, they will truly be the children of God. If you don't know that today, I'd love to pray with anybody here who doesn't know that. Today, in a moment, you can be born again and become a child of God by simple trust in a father who sent his one and only son to die on a cross for your sins. And he was raised again the third day so that you could live forever. It is that simple, not complicated. And if that's you today, I would love to pray with you after the service. If you'd come up and meet with me, I'd love to just show you in the Word of God how much He loves you, how secure you can be, and you can truly be born again in this moment here today. Church, have a great... I'm not going to see you for about six, seven weeks. Have a great time. You're looking good. You're sounding good. Going from strength to strength. Mon, ready to close? Thank you.